So, Doug, you wanted me to talk about what's the band's name again? Vengefold Seven Five. <laughs> Avenged Sevenfold. You wanted me to remind you to talk about it. What I thought I could do for the show and for this podcast, I should say, is when I have guest hosts on, such as yourself, we'll introduce you officially in just a bit. But kind of not like a reaction per se, but you, because I don't want to do it live, but you're like, hey, Ryan, this is their best album. For example, Guns N' Roses, you could say their best album really is Appetite for Destruction. That's like, if you don't like Appetite, you're not going to like GNR, right? Right. So I think every band kind of has... A, their best album, Megadeth, is Rust in Peace. Doesn't mean that don't have other good songs. Every band, every band, from the Beatles to Elvis to whoever, some bands just have an album that just can't be topped in their career. For whatever reason, they reach a peak in their career. So, a band like Avengefold, right? <laughs> what, what are they called? Seriously. Avenged, Avenged Sevenfold. Oh, there's a number in there. Like, That's you're, what's wrong. like you're avenging something seven times over, sevenfold. Oh, wow. That's a lot of folding. Okay. <laughs> uh, for you uh, and us, if we're to do a future episode on Avengefold seven, seven, Sevenfold, <laughs> I can't. I can't. Okay. I, I, <laughs> forget it. Forget it. You would say, Ryan, this album is their best album. I did see them perform live when they opened for Metallica back in September of nineteen. Sorry, 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty big by then. They had a lot of fans there at the open for an opening act. Absolutely. They put on a good show. And I remember thinking it was good music and a good show, but I don't recall any songs. Right. But, th- but that being said, if you're like, Ryan, this album is the album that you know will knock your socks off or if they had a greatest hits if it's an out a band like whoever like sticks has been around forever they might have a greatest hits package that you could draw on i'm not familiar at all with them so if you're like you're a big fan right uh yeah i, I would say so okay well maybe not that bad for example but this goes this so this is well, a call no, out. No, i'd say more so in their their earlier days well, sure like lately but sure and this would be a call to anyone. So if anyone who listens to the show feels like they got what it takes after listening to the show and seeing how we do this show, if they want to throw an album that they think needs reviewing and are willing to pick. So your favorite album from one of your favorite bands and you want to pick the worst song from it, then yeah, that's how the show works. You know, so what I'm saying is, yeah, I would be happy to review it for like, you know, like a week or two and talk about going fresh. Yeah. Going fresh, fresh and say, fresh Hey, years. yeah. And say the song, the song, this song, however, dot, 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 this song was at least my least favorite on the album. And that's how we do it. All right. Yeah. So keep that one in your back pocket there, Dougie. You got it, buddy. All right. Without further ado, let's go. Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get from Canada and New Jersey. Ryan and Big Gun Doug. Welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. I am your host, and with me again for round two to cover Anthrax, disc two of the Anthrology Greatest Hits album, or No Hits album, Doug. How you doing? <laughs> Doug. I still can't believe you picked I'm the man for the last one, man. Editor's note. I don't know how it escaped us, because I know that 
song was released again on their uh, Killer Bees, side Bees and kind of mini hits and stuff. It was originally released on an I'm the Man EP that had like 20 different versions of the song. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. And that was chronologically speaking before the albums that we're covering today. When I saw it on that disc, I thought it was a throwaway, it was, but it actually was put on the disc in proper chronological order between the two albums. So it was Spreading the Disease, Amongst the Living, those are the first two uh, albums that we covered. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that it's mostly credited with being on Attack of the Killer Bees. It not is. so much the EP. It, I, that's what I remember as a teenager. And so I incorrectly, I, or I don't know if I said it on the show because I haven't gone back and edited it, but obviously by the time people are listening to this episode, they've heard part one probably. I just don't remember if I said, oh, this was released later, and it's not true. It was released officially on the I'm the Man EP between their next two studio albums with Joey. We don't have to go to much more preamble. If you want to hear our thoughts on Anthrax as a band, this kind of the mini start of who they were and who their first singer was, and all this other stuff, we covered it really terribly on part one. <laughs> Awfully. <laughs> Awfully. If you're listening to part two without listening to part one, then we'll give you our disclaimer. We are not professionals. We are not Anthrax experts. So that being said, I've already messed up the I'm the man, for example. So <laughs> there are fanatics out there who might be yelling at their screen. Just keep in mind, what we're doing is we're listening to the songs that we listened to when we were young and talking about how we feel about this. That's all it is. It's really just how we feel, not necessarily the history, even though we will t- tap into that. But if you're coming here just to hear about how a song was made or what it means to whoever or the writer or to the band or what it did for the band necessarily, then you might just want to go on Wikipedia or their fan sites and web pages and get that on your own time but this is more just fans talking about the music and what it means to us and how we feel about it and the parts we like and things like that i think i think that's fair we will talk about the albums of course a little bit and you know what songs were on what albums so we are drawing from again the anthology no hits wonder which covered the years of 85 to 91 but specifically specifically covered the first four albums of the second singer officially joey belladonna i remember you're saying last episode you weren't that crazy about his live singing today. I know we age, and he's close to, I think he's 57, mm-hmm. if I remember. He does okay, though. But, you know, matching, with the, obviously, the power of a studio. Yeah, that's. I don't think I was giving him a fair shake. But when you listen to, to the song that was recorded in 1986, for example, 85, and then you listen to them perform the same song in 2018, it, of course, he's going to have a different sound to his voice. When you listen to one right after the other, it's like, ugh. <laughs> right, right. So try not to do that. In fact, Bruce Dickinson, I've seen him live a, a bunch of times. And, you know, after hearing his studio albums a million times and then seeing him live, he does the same thing. Can I say this about Bruce? And I love Iron Maiden. And I think we talked about doing an Iron Maiden episode one of these days in the same vein that we're doing Anthrax. I know Bruce was amazing back in the day, of course, in the 80s. And again, we all age. But I would almost say that Joey is a better singer now than Bruce's live. I know it's a hot take, but you go watch. Bruce has strained his voice a little bit. Uh, Again, he's older. He must be maybe close to 60, if not older than 60. I'm not sure. He's he's not 55 anymore, I don't think. No. And again, we're not experts, but I'm pretty sure that Bruce had some uh, Mm. some serious vocal cord or voice box or some kind of issues even more recently, didn't he? he? He's a cancer survivor, isn't he? Oh, maybe, yeah. Like, I don't know if it was like throat cancer or whatever, but we're going back a ways even. Uh, I think that he had some kind of issues with his voice or his throat. Ready? Yeah, let's get into it. 
All right, so we are now covering disc two, if you actually had this in your possession of the anthology, No Hit Wonders. Disc two starts off with the song Be All and All. With the first two albums that we talked about, we definitely could hear that thrash. Even on that first album with Joey Baldana, they were still kind of finding their identity. There's a couple moments where, where, you know, are you guys going to kind of the hard metal or are you going to more thrash or a bit of both? By the time of State of Euphoria, this was their fourth album, third with Joey Baldana as a singer, that came out in 1988. And I meant to mention this, the first time I heard or really even saw Anthrax as a band, because again, there was no internet in 88, <laughs> uh, there was M- much music for Canada, MTV for the US, and I used to watch, like, of course, videos and stuff, and I might have seen a video by these guys then, I'm not sure, but I didn't know them very well at all. Even in, in 1988, I, in September, I was in grade 8, so I was just getting to, like, it was probably this year that I picked up Justice. It was probably this year that I, Justice for All, of course. I was definitely listening to Guns N' Roses at this time, Aerosmith. Anthrax was, as they were, really, they were not a big, well, as the bands I just mentioned, they weren't just in that realm of mm-hmm. sales and concert uh, venue uh, attendance. My buddy, and I, I guess he's kind of a buddy, his name is Morgan, and I meant to look him up on Facebook. We're not even friends on Facebook, but he'd always wear Anthrax shirts. I just remember that, and I was like, who, you know, I must have talked to him. I wish I could go back in time and ask him again, who's this band and what do they mean to you? And, you know, with the adult brain that I have now, you know, and Very just good. hear what he had to say about them back then. How cool for him to be a fan of a band that, you know, you would have to like, they weren't underground necessarily, or they weren't Metallica and they weren't even Megadeth as far as, as far as record sales and popularity goes. So no, c- it, kudos to him. It, I got into him when I was probably a, a preteen and so we're talking like early, early 90s. And these bands, their heyday was the 80s. Like mm. imagine being a fan during their heyday when they're putting out the best music of their lives at that time. And, you, and you're going to the record store and picking it up like as it's coming out. Like I, I Well, you're talking to that about it. You're talking yeah. to me cause, because to be fair to myself, not to jump on your, to, you know, imagine I'm, I'm what, two years older than you, I think. Am I two years or four? Three. You were born what year? 78. Okay, I was born in 75. So, yeah, a guy in grade eight, or sorry, I speak American here, a guy in eighth grade versus <laughs> a guy in fifth grade. Yeah, you know, I was a, you know, a teenager. You, know, you were just a kid compared to me. And, sure. And uh, But I don't want to get into persistence of time just yet, but that was, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But I, I feel very fortunate that when that album came out, it was exactly what you were talking about. I, w- I was firing all cylinders. I was in the 10th grade. 15 years old, like my mind was just like metal from Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax, oh, yeah. you know, and I just, yeah. And then, of course, we talked a bit about John Bush and his era of music, and I was just totally on board with John Bush as an Anthrax singer. In fact, I will say at the time, as a teenager, I was definitely in the John Bush camp. It was the Sammy Hagar, David Lee Roth argument all over again. Who's the better singer? What do they bring to the band? I think it would be fun to cover the John Bush albums one day. We'll we'll talk about that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but I love both, and I love David Lee Roth and Sam Hagar in the sense that it's the same way. I don't think it has to be a competition. I don't limit myself to that. <laughs> I enjoy both for what they did for the bands. So You're probably one of the few. You have people in the David Lee Roth camp, people in the Sammy Hagar camp, on a lesser degree because Anthrax wasn't nearly as big as Van Halen. You're going to have people that are hardcore for both, and I don't know how many cross the lines, actually. There might be more than we just don't, because we don't talk about it. 
online, let's say now with a, any kind of Twitter war or Facebook, I don't say anything because I just enjoy both. I own older CDs. I've seen both live, both versions live. and mm-hmm. But I recognize the, the two different sounds. But I admit, I kind of like the schmaltzy Sammy stuff and I also like the hard rock and David stuff. So whatever. About bands, though, you change a, a drummer, you change a bass player, a guitarist. Mm. The sound doesn't change that much. No. That much. You change a singer you're kind of reinventing the entire band unless you get somebody who sounds exactly like your former singer. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. And that's the thing. And we talked about this on part one, that there were some songs that Joey was singing. I'm like, Oh, I can see why they picked John. They knew kind of who they were picking. They picked somebody that could sing the old hits without making it sound too different because I'm not a music guy. I don't sing. I don't play any instruments, but what little I know about how songs are crafted, they are crafted around the singer. A singer will sing in a certain tone or octave or whatever that is. The instruments kind of have to match that. So you could have a guitarist that could play like Metallica, let's say, but they have a singer that can't sing like James or has a different level of voice or like Joey, a different level of voice Mm -hmm. for for Anthrax. They're like, well, we got to change our guitar tone, which then, like you're saying, changes the whole sound. Right. And David and Sammy is a huge example of that because, quite frankly, David Lee Roth can't sing. He's more of a right of set, scat, scat, you know, like, yeah. a, that's, well, that's what he is. He's a front man. He's a, he's a performer, but he's not a singer. Yeah. Band played around that. So they played the types of songs that David could kind of like, you name any big hit, it's, it's not really singing. And then Sammy, you know, he can sing. He can still sing at 72 now. They were able to change their songs to kind of match the abilities of Sammy. And some people didn't right. like that. Anyways, welcome to the Van Halen podcast. <laughs> Over Anthrax listeners are like, screw these guys, a bunch of pansies talking about Van Halen. Give us our metal, man. All right, you want metal? We got metal. All right, here we go. So track one of disc two of the anthology is from their State of Euphoria, released in 88. It's also track one of that album, Be All and All. If you pick the song as the worst song on any list, I don't know what kind of list that was. Right. I, I just, just the, the way it begins. talk about this part first it hasn't even started singing yet already a minute plus into the song mm-hmm. and I, I just love that cello at the beginning and you know that build-up's coming i don't know why but it's, it's such a simple trick is that the right word or way to like to gimmick? that that yeah gimmick in a sense but to have the metal guitar matching the cello but it works yeah 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 it's it sounds like natural on the cello like it belongs as like a like a haunting cello piece like that slow and heavy, it's heavy, really chunky guitars when it comes in. Cellist went by the name of Carol Friedman. Oh, it's uh, a female. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, and I found no information on her, none. <laughs> but wow. to have a cello intro was, was Charlie Benante's idea, the drummer. 
I think it's uh, effective. Speaking of which, we should have said that State of Euphoria, for whatever reason, was not well received by critics at the time. Incredible. Encyclopedia of Popular Music gave it two out of five stars. All Music gives it two and a half out of five stars. Uh, Rolling Stone Album Guide, you know, three out of five. And the Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal gave it seven out of ten, which I think is a fair. I think seven mm-hmm. out of ten is fair. Yeah. But at the time, it didn't sell well either. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't. You take a fan base like Anthrax, they're not going to be. It's not pop music. It's a very niche audience that that you're looking at. So, I mean, how many of these? How many real metal artists went platinum? This and Persistence of Time. They, they went gold. I don't think really a whole lot of metal artists. I don't know. It also depends on what part of the world, because I know bands like Iron Maiden were huge overseas. Mm. So their album sales overseas are way higher than they are in a, here in the States. Yeah, so they sold 60,000 units in the UK, 50,000 in Canada, whoop, whoop, and 500,000 in the US at the time. Mm-hmm. It's too bad that Frank Bello, the bass player, he didn't play the cello. <laughs> imagine that <laughs> Bello, <laughs> Bello on the cello. Can you imagine that? <laughs> You and your quips. (laughs) Charlie, the drummer, Charlie Benante, he wrote most of the music. So, yeah, the majority of the album's music was composed by the drummer, Charlie Benante, while the lyrics were composed by rhythm guitarist Scott Ian. Looks like Benante and Ian have a lot to do with the the songwriting. Actually, most to do with the songwriting. There's a lot of bands where the drummer's not involved with the song composition. But I'm I don't aware. think he's just a drummer, though. I, th- I think he's pretty well-versed in, in multiple disciplines. Well, we call him the Dark Horse, I think, in episode one, that he really is an underrated drummer and probably more of a leader in the band than maybe I'm aware of. I'm starting to learn that he is that way. We see some, some of it later on in this song itself. There was Joey Belladonna's uh, vocals, too. But his uh, the line when he says, death, not suicide, he lets the note hang, like really hang as the backup singers go into the chorus. Well, let's get into his intro when he starts singing here. So what I love there is how that same rhythm with the cello started. He's singing that same. Doo, 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 doo. I just it's such a great. Yeah. It's simple, but it's it's really good. Yeah, Joey kicks in right with the strong vocals. This is a great track opener. I mean, it might even be too good. I can see somewhere with some of these songs. I'm not trying to spoil anything, but maybe where persistence of time doesn't have some issues. This one does. This album. It's a great album and has some very popular songs that are still played in concerts to this day, 32 years later. But this track opener is so strong that it might cast a big shadow on the songs that follow. So speaking of which, Make Me Laugh is the next song on Anthrology, and it's also track three on the album State of Euphoria. Also the first single off of State of Euphoria. 
the song itself is about televangelism, which was big back in the 80s. Charlie Benante has a quote here. He said, there's a lot of these guys in America. You turn on a channel and you see a Coliseum-type place. And there's this preacher looking out at you through the camera with his imploring expression. And he goes on about the will of God. And we really need the money. And we see this all the time. And we think uh, this is so ridiculous. It makes us laugh. But the sad part, the unfunny part, is that people believe in all this crap because they have nothing else to believe in. You know, he goes on. He says, the evil part is that this guy is sucking the lost and lonely in, brainwashing them to send the money and then everything will be beautiful. The other thing is that these evangelist organizations are ready to put down heavy metal music as corrupting. And there's the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. Those, Ryan, if you remember, that's oh, yeah. the organization that started the explicit lyrics stamp that you see on the tapes back in the day. And CDs to this day, they still do that, right? Yeah, if you want to hear us uh, talk about them, my brother Jason and I, we talk about that very topic on our Twisted Sister episode. Go yeah, check that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he's saying that these evangelists will blame heavy metal music when they're far worse. He goes on here. The thing that hurts us is when some kid commits suicide and they find a tape in his room with anthrax, Ozzy, etc. on it. And right away, they blame the music. They don't go into the background of how the kid got effed up, how his family was. Could it be that the music was what kept the kid going for so long? His only reason for living, who knows? So, you know, these televangelists are sharks and they prey on the poor and the people that are looking for some direction. Bravo, bravo to you televangelists praying on the weak and making money off them because they're stupid enough to give you their money and you're uh, not kind enough. You're smart enough to know how to take it from them because I couldn't do it. I I couldn't do it, Doug. I personally couldn't get in front of people and and promise them. No, I couldn't do it. So great they figured it out congratulations there's just there's so many of these uh snake oil salesmen i just want to punch all of them in the face seriously want to punch them in the face they prey on people lost and (sighs) desperate people oh your dead one's talking to me oh yeah exactly those those yeah monsters all right so make me laugh here we go they So I love how Joey's singing. It sounds like a like a preacher almost. Like he's got that choir church voice. Oh, you know, almost like a yeah. choir boy singing the the lyrics. It's a great effect. Yeah, he drops his voice down like to a deeper. I don't know. I, I'm not into it. I know what he's going for, but it just it doesn't have an appealing sound to me. We're gonna be kissing his ass like this whole episode like we were the last but uh charlie benante's drums man in that beginning oh yeah after the intro the intro starts off like really slow and then that little double bass flutter that he does it's really like really good we're allowed to kiss his ass He's, he deserves it he does the drummer's the unsung hero man from what i gather from youtube comments and stuff i think anthrax fans do know and appreciate him very much as they should yeah I think as a whole, this it's a boring song. Dude, you can't give away too much if this is your worst pick. <laughs> don't right. tell me if it is or isn't, but I'm just saying, don't bury the lead just yet. All right. All right. All right. Fair enough. This is another part of the song you want to hear, Doug, or you want to move on to the next one? Uh, I don't know. Get into like the chorus part, at least. Okay. I think we're that's just usually, that's the crowd grabber, isn't it? The chorus? Yeah.
All right. The next song on Anthrology is actually the song Antisocial, but we can't cover it, or we can cover it, but we can't add it to our picks because mm-hmm. it is a cover song. And I didn't know this for the longest time, so I admit I didn't know this was a cover song. No, I didn't either. I was actually bummed to hear that it was a cover song because I really do like this song. Just uh, let our listeners know if somebody's actually listening to this episode without hearing the part one first. The way it works on the show is when we do a music review, every band member has to participate in the song for it to count as a worst pick. <laughs> and it cannot be a cover song. So it has to be an original band song. Antisocial is actually a cover song by a French band called Trust. Did you hear the original? I didn't. It has like a kind of old school punk sound, Mm -hmm. which I like. And it does scream cover once you hear it. It's not their normal kind of music, but I I really do like the song. We'll play a little bit of it. Let's just pretend this was an original song and it sounded exactly like this. I don't think either one of us would have picked this as a worse song anyway. Right. Either way, even if it counted, it wouldn't make the worst pick. But I sometimes find with bands, their cover songs are my least favorite. I I just want to hear the band do their songs. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this one does have, it has a different sound to it, but they do a great job with it. And there's one part of the song I actually really like, and then we'll move on to the next one because we this one doesn't count. <laughs> well, it's not. It's actually, fortunately, because it can't be picked as a worse song. <laughs> it wouldn't anyway, but yeah. yes, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, that chorus era sounds very, like, this doesn't sound like them. Very punky, yeah. I think it's after the next course. There's a part that it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it builds up to something, but then it doesn't quite get there. And I don't know why it's cool, but it's frustrating at the same time. You know what the part I'm talking about? I think so. Even when he's like, how does so, it feel? Yeah. I feel like it's supposed to yeah, go yeah, somewhere yeah. else, but it doesn't go anywhere. And it's interesting because they added that. That wasn't a part of the original song. I listened to the original song today. They didn't do that. So this was Anthrax adding their own little spin. And I, I kind of wish they went a little bit further with where I thought they were going with that part, but it's still a cool part. I kind of wish if I was a producer, I'd have been like, that's great, guys. And like, I probably would have had them do it like maybe one more time than kick into a solo or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could see what you're saying. So for that, it's my worst pick. Oh, wait. It doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. The next song on Anthrology is song four, which is Who Cares Wins. This was officially not a single, but they released a video for it. Yeah, it was um, off of City 4. It was track five. I guess the reason why they did a video for it was because of the subject matter that really like kind of hit home for them. It deals with the plight of the homeless, this song. Joey Belladonna sings from the perspective of a homeless man who's invisible to everybody around him. And when the band was, they tour from city to city and they go out and it's like every city they go to, when they walk out of their hotel, there's homeless people like strewn all over the street. 
And they started to take notice and see like it's a real big problem, not just in one city. Where, I mean, these guys are from New York, so I'm sure they have they've been exposed to plenty of homeless people, but it's everywhere. Charlie Benante says back then you really never got into the whole mental illness thing that was also going on or the drug addiction or how these were veterans who were basically tossed aside and now we're just part of society and we weren't taking care of them. Uh, he says to this day, I know the problem still exists. This was back in 2017. He gave this interview. He said he, when he first, I guess, really noticed it was in Portland back in the 80s. And then he said, uh, I just went to Portland and saw it again firsthand. He goes, I don't know why I'm picking on Portland. It just happens to be on my mind because I, uh, he just got back from there. Yeah, he just says, like, it's an ongoing problem, and I and I think it's a problem that will always be here. And the video, did you watch the video? Yeah, right? I did watch the video, yeah. It was directed by a guy named Paul Rockman. The video itself is striking because as opposed to, like, the, there are other videos and other videos that were around this time that were shown on MTV and stuff shows unvarnished images of homeless people mm-hmm. around New York City and MTV wouldn't play it um, yeah. yeah because I guess it was too dark which is uh, funny I, I guess it was 1988 but didn't Phil Collins release uh, a video exactly. On- <laughs> exactly it showed similar images you know of real homeless people but MTV played the crap out of that one and Phil Collins ended up getting a Grammy nomination for <laughs> best video and Anthrax wasn't ever really seen until like the emergence of YouTube. Yeah, they were just young kids, you know, playing heavy metal, terrible yeah. music. What I love about the State of Before album and all, all much of Anthrax songs, you know, here we have a song on the homelessness issue and a video to support that awareness. We have a song about televangelists stealing money from those who are not all there or who are in need. Not all their songs cover this kind of subject matter, but they they certainly do. And it, I don't know. I wonder why if this also is one of the reasons why this wasn't as successful is because if you're expecting like a madhouse type of video or that or that kind of I guess satirical song or nihilistic song, and then you go to like this, a lot of these songs really have some issues that these guys want to talk about. If it's not what you're used to, and you want like you want you want your band to play that goofy stuff, you know, and then you're getting this. Yeah. I mean these. You can't say anything about the music itself because I think overall the music is great. Oh, it, well, it is. It's not just. Here's the thing. I understand like you don't have to not you, but one doesn't have to like everything. I don't like everything. If somebody could be talented, doesn't mean I have to like it. But at the same time, I think especially in the '80s and, and a little bit of the '90s, people were you know they would turn the ear to the message just because they didn't understand. You know, ironically, you had the youth like us listening to this music, and. You would have evangelical, ironically, parents uh, or adults saying, oh, you guys listen to evil stuff. Actually, no, it's not. Madonna might be singing something that sounds more fun and and radio-friendly, but, you know, she's talking about things that, you know. Yeah, like sex. Sure. The terrible sex. Me. Sex. (laughs) Okay, so the next song on Anthrology. I don't think we got into the song at all. Oh, (laughs) we did. (laughs) My bad. Uh, watch the video on YouTube if you haven't. It's really cool. It's, uh, actually, I wanted to say, sorry. The good news is the band, everyone in the band is still alive. So that's great. You know, that's fine. But the sad part is I think everyone shown in that video is dead. Oh, the the homeless? Yeah, the homeless video. Oh, all, all, every person I saw on that, it was sad because those are actual human beings. Those are people yeah. at some point were held by a mother. 
mm-hmm. as a baby. And it always just, every time I, I had an idea a long time ago when I thought I could have been some sort of journalist or uh, writer or something, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't think I could ever do this, but I actually wanted to, uh, do a book, almost like a coffee table book, but not, I don't, it sounds morbid, but I, I wanted to talk to homeless people and ask them, the ones that weren't mentally ill, of course, mm-hmm. but, but to say, how did you get here? Because there was a time yeah. that you were kicking a soccer ball in the field when you're eight years old, right? And you probably went home for supper, right? And now you're living under a bridge at the age of 55. Like, right. how, how does someone go be home by supper, Billy, to 30 years, 40 years later, you're living under a bridge? Yeah. I'm sure some of them have, like, really interesting stories. Yeah, man. I Heartbreaking coffee table book it's like a slit yeah jesus yeah i (laughs) book to slit your wrist by ryan revolkin yeah (laughs) this podcast is probably killing a few people anyways i know we haven't even got to the song yet but in the video there's like a ticker that runs at the bottom of it oh i missed that did you see it i don't know where video it starts but at some point you know they're not doing a commentary on it's just a ticker that runs along the bottom and here's what it says. Sure. It's impossible to get an exact count, but according to the National Coalition for the Homeless, estimates range from 60,000 to 80,000 homeless men, women, and children in New York City. Mm. 29,000 are in shelters. The rest are on the streets. 10,600 are single adults without children. 85% men, 15% women. 30% of the men are veterans. 19,000 are members of families with children. 15,000 are children. Half of the children are under the age of six. Wow. So there you go. Like the staggering, staggering numbers. I wonder, and this is back then, I wonder like how the numbers have altered from then to now. No, they're the same. Because populations increase. So even, all right. Relative. On that feel good note, this is the song. <laughs> So nice long intro again, and I hate the term mature sound, but it has kind of a more mature sound, which is probably intentional considering the subject matter we're talking about. They're not being silly. They're being serious, but also a dark brooding type of, yeah. Again, Charlie play, playing around with the drum beat, doing yeah. like a little like offbeat type of, of thing that he did there in the beginning. All right, let's uh, check out Joey's chorus here talking about being invisible. Is that what he says? Something like that? Or you can't see me? You yeah, can't see yeah. me. When you're playing a chorus, after he says, I can't hear you, the guitar does this little flourish thing too that that sounds really good yeah that's good is that what you're talking about yeah after he says I can't hear you it does like a kind of flourish thing i don't know what it's called but this next song is definitely not a social project (laughs) (laughs) the fifth song on disc two called now it's dark it is the sixth song on city euphoria it was inspired by the david lynch film blue velvet 
specifically behavior of the sexually depraved murderous sociopath Frank Booth yeah. <laughs> as played by Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Keep this feel-good uh, album going, fellas. Uh, have you seen Blue Velvet? You're, you're a police officer, right? I, I am. So, so, so the legend says. I've never seen Blue Velvet, though. Because he was a gangster. You would have taken him down. Oh, oh I would have. I don't stand for that kind of... Uh, the shenanigans. <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't seen too many David Lynch films, I don't think. He's kind of a... I, I don't like my artists being... Directors being too weird. It's, yeah. Like, calm down. <laughs> it just being weird for weird sake. Yeah, it's it almost seems... It's art. Stuff. Yeah. It's art. It's art. But let's see. David Lynch films. Which ones have I actually seen? Eraserhead came out in 77. You just let me know when you've seen any of these. Elephant Man. Dune. They're doing the remake right now. I saw Dune, the original one. I actually haven't seen it. No, I haven't um, seen it in a long time. Blue Velvet, which we're just speaking of. Wild at Heart, Twin Peaks. Now, Lost Highway I have seen because that had Bill Palmer and Patricia Arquette, who I had a big crush on in the day. Then The Straight Story, which I've never heard of. Oh, that's one I have seen. Sorry, I have seen that one. So I've seen two 97's Lost Highway, 99 The Straight Story. Straight Story, that was the one about that guy who drives his lawnmower across the country to visit his friend or something. Yeah, me. Mulholland Drive. I think I saw it because I had a crush and I still do Naomi Watts. Wait, was that the one where the guy is like a teacher or uh, like a terrorist terrorist trying to blow up a town or something? No. What are you talking about? Hold on. Jeff Bridges. Oh, (laughs) you're talking. Yeah, he was blown away. Oh, hold on a second. Jeff Bridges played until totally I'm blown away. Yeah, Jeff Bridges was in a David Lynch film. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can you imagine that combination? I'm, I'm going to sound like su- such an idiot. Well, I'm not in this. Don't worry. You're going to sound like an idiot here. <laughs> we're not experts on films either. No, no. <laughs> no, we only run a film cast, but we're not experts on one. Oh, Arlington Road. I'm such an idiot. Yeah. Mulholland Drive, it's actually, it, it's uh, it's near Arlington it's Road. It's the name of a street. <laughs> okay, here we go. Which one's this? What are we on? Which one? <laughs> um, <laughs> is that now it's dark? Yeah, now it's dark. Good strong beginning on this song though. I really like the the beginning and it has like bass playing by Frank Bell the cello there. <laughs> it's yeah. a don't don't you know almost like a David Lynchy type feel. They were definitely <laughs> going for the weird sound there. Yeah, it's one of the rare instances of where Bellow gets a little showcase. I like it. I like the beginning. It's a good solid intro. Good solid intro. The vocal melody, I don't know how much I like Joey Belladonna singing in this and it's not his range or anything it's just the melody that isn't appealing to my ears you know yeah the weakest player on this album is Joey uh, he shined definitely this I, I get the bad reviews I think the band struggled a little bit with this album I, th- I think some songs really worked well like uh, and all be all antisocial their composition of it the next song that we're going to cover finale 
there's some good songs on this album. It's not a bad album at all. They must have just misstepped a little bit. I think it's sometimes it's that third album issue, and this is the third album with Joey. I, I don't know what was going on with them a little bit, but they struggled a little bit with this album. I don't want to totally tear it down because it's not it's not terrible. It's not a terrible song. Like you'll notice through all, a lot of these songs on this album and on the next album that the band is tight the guitars are tight you know the drums are just all over the place like i love charlie's drumming i would have to agree that i think joey is uh he, he kind of holds him back a little bit especially here if you want to go to the breakdown at three minutes all right right there it's like a good pit starter okay Yeah, that's uh, definitely uh, the highlight of the song there. Mm-hmm. Compliment sandwich right there. Starts off good, ends good, and uh, you know, but the in between is eh. Yeah, it's kind of like marriages. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right. The next song on the anthology is song number six, finale. Even though the chorus, they say finally. A little play on words there. Yes, yes. Well, was this indeed the finale of State of Euphoria? Great is question. This the last song? No, it is. It's uh, the last song on the album, song number 10, finale. And they make sure that you know that it's pronounced finale. They actually have the proper pronunciations above the I and the E. They want you to know, even though it's pronounced finally. Actually, no, they actually make it. Sorry. The way they spell it is finale, but they want you to pronounce the I and E long, so finally. That's I don't know why they did that, so yeah. This oh. is the anthrax being silly. This is what I'm getting at. That little bit of silly. Well, that, yeah. Is it finally or finale? Why are you being silly about it? Just because it's a finale because it's the last Well, I know it's the last song yeah. on the album, but they have to make it silly. Like Sure. With the little umlauts and accent marks. Ooh, look at you with a... Wow. You were just waiting to drop that, weren't you? (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) This is their as close to a love song as they dared to go. Not based on the music, but I guess the the subject matter. They swore in the early days that they would never write a song with the word love in it. Yeah. Um, But Joey Belladonna here references it when he says, Real love, this time you fool. Scott Ian says that finale is the Anthrax love song. It's about being in a situation where you're with this person. It could be a boy or a girl singing the song. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, with Joey, so we're long. not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you've been with this person for so long that you effing hate her, but you just go through with it. And then the song goes, finally, he broke away. But I can't see us writing love songs or ballads. It's not us. What we're about, what I think metal should be about, that kind of no room to let up attitude. Benante uh, says they're not anti-romanticists. They try to have a positive attitude towards life. We don't want to dwell on death or glorify it because it ain't glorious. But I suppose we do like to think about evil things. He said that as opposed to, like, why don't they sing more love songs? And it's funny. They do kind of tackle a bit of a ballad on uh, Killer B's track. This uh, Killer B's album. It's a, a poke at ballad. It's a parody, but they play it pretty straight. 
till the oh, end. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that song too. Yeah. That'll be in Kafesin, y'all. Good. Look at you. Yeah. Our Anthrax yeah. nerd listeners are really proud of you, Doug. I am still please. beginning this is a it's a strong song than the album one they ended it strong and they started this album strong that beginning right there is what i meant before when i was saying tight guitar work right at the beginning there everything is just it's really chunky really sounds great go to a minute about 125 or so That's another, you know, I'm going to go sucking off Charlie Benante again. Wow. Like when he, it's, <laughs> wow. He changes the time after like every line of lyric goes from like a, a fast beat to like a slower groovy after every line of lyrics. Really good. When you change the time, the pace like that keeps you in, you know, keeps you locked in. All right. So that's the last song from City Euphoria to represent itself on disc two of the Anthropology. Now we're going into the fourth and final album of Joey Belladonna's time with Anthrax before John Bush joined the band. Whatever criticism the band must have heard or felt or maybe themselves felt or heard, they're like, hey guys, we need to do something here. This is 1990. This is the album that I first owned. This was my first Anthrax album. So this is kind of the Anthrax that I knew and fell in love with, the sound and the quality, so to speak. I'm telling you right now, man, this is an amazing metal album. Persistence of Time is just, uh, they took away any kind of silliness, gone. It's it's almost sludge metal. It's just dark, heavy, fuzzy. It's just got everything. And and there's no fooling around with Joey's vocals. No fooling around. He just Mm -hmm. sings amazing on every song. Totally. He definitely, Joey's going for the gold. It's like you knew his contract was up and he was giving it his, his best shot. I think top to bottom, you're right. It is like a solid, solid entry. I said it about um, City of Four, and it's the same here. Like everything's tight, man. The, the music, the band itself is tight. But I think Joey definitely showed up more during this tenure than, than he did in City of Four. Yeah. Persistent Time was, yeah, their fourth album with Joey, fifth album as a band. Mm-hmm. Much more favored by critics. All Music gave it 4 out of 5. Collector's Guide to Heavy Metal gave it 7 out of 10. Same as the other one. Encyclopedia of Popular Music gave it 4 out of 5 stars. Rolling Stone gave it 3.5 out of 5 stars. All Fair, I think it's it's not a perfect album by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I say stretch. But as far as an Anthrax album, it was their most mature with Joey at this time. 
as the singer. And they, they continued that kind of seriousness with the Sound of White Noise album with John Bush. Mm. Yeah. They didn't totally abandon their thrash roots, but this is definitely more progressive kind of album than it is thrash. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that might have made it more appealing to critics, maybe. This album itself was nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. There's also, during recording, there was a fire in the studio that caused them to lose $100,000 in equipment. Jeez. That is a lot of money. <laughs> That's terrible. Anthrax is not making Metallica dollars. No, they're not. The first track on the album is Time, and that is for the next song on the anthology. I love this song. The same way that State of Euphoria kicked off an incredible opener, Time, mm-hmm. on this one does the same thing. Incredible opener for the band on this album. They're going for a theme here. Yeah, Time. The name of the album is Persistence of Time, which I thought was interesting that this song says the words persistence of time but they call the song just time yeah talked earlier about Frank Bell the cello not really being heard in City before you but he's heard on this album what a booming bass You could hear that more mature sound. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way yeah. he kicks it with those vocals. They took a shot out of a cannon with this. It, it's really like a good intro to the album here. Got my thing for time changes. Start the song at two minutes. There's a nice little subtle time change. It gives me chills. The way he kind of, see, I almost feel like he's singing inward. Like he's, he's singing like almost oh, desperately yeah, yeah. as the guitar changes up. It's just, it's almost like he's panicking a little bit. I love it. <laughs> Isn't it hard when you're doing this to just not listen to the whole song? Every time, man. Every time <laughs> I do these. Stop it. And <laughs> yeah. Do you like a nice heavy breakdown? What do you mean? I don't know. Go to four minutes and 15 seconds to find out. Oh, tease me.
Yeah. Uh, I know. What is that? <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, man. That's a really good one. I don't our, think that's going to be on our list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> worst song on the Imagine what the album would sound like if that was the worst song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you ever seen that picture of South Park of the Stan's dad by the computer desk? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll just leave it at that. That's what that's what your experience would be after listening to an album such as that. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. The next song on the album on Anthrology After Time is Keep It in the Family. This is a song they play regularly at shows, I believe, still. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of their uh, live staples. Back in um, 1989, there was a 16-year-old black kid named Yusef Hawkins that was killed in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, section of New York City. Him and three of his friends were attacked by 10 to 30 white kids. Oh, and um, one of the attackers had a gun and shot him twice in the chest. This was their uh, commentary on that. It's nice to know that we've got rid of racism. Yeah, totally gone. There's none <laughs> of that left. Everybody just loves everybody. Yeah. It's great. Happy family. Keeping the family. There's that heavier sludge sound almost. Does this intro not remind you of Metallica oh yeah this would have been just after Justice so you know they're definitely taking a cue from that sound yeah good song yeah it starts off slow it picks up closer you get to the chorus overall it's a really good song It's a good song. It's yeah. it's one of the longer songs too. It's almost seven minutes long. They had a lot of those minute and a half openers. You ever go to a live show in those long openings or like the long guitar solos, the areas where there's no vocals? Like you watch the singer to find out like what are you doing <laughs> during these parts? You're usually just running around the stage like doing a lot of like he's a he's adjusting out. his wig. Yeah. I don't know. I guess this is hair. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, he's 57, but he's got hair like. Does he have Native American blood? I don't know. Blood? I, I know. Donna's like an Italian. Italian? Yeah, maybe Italian. So maybe he's just, he looks like he could. So the next song is In My World. Keeping the Family, though, was track three of the Persistence of Time album. In My World is track four. How does it feel? Oh, wait. That was my song. <laughs>
Another great long intro. I love it. Uh, I love this song. This yeah. is a great song. There's so many great parts to it. I too. know. Like from that intro to the chorus and the vocal melody. I know I said a couple of things in the about City Fury, like how I wasn't crazy about the vocal melodies. I love Joey's vocals in this. It just sounds so good. one of Joey's uh, probably one of his best vocal performances of his career let alone on this album it's such a great great such a great power vocal and it's actually the chorus in my world that part it's almost conventional but it works with that heavy sound in the background in conjunction with what the instruments are doing they complement each other yeah when he sees well, like it's almost kind of a conventional rock anthem, but we got this really heavy stuff going on in the background. Yeah, yeah. We, oh, it's says, a great song. Uh, I say what I want to say because I go to hell anyway. Like it's just a nice, yeah. Like just, just the like the. <laughs> I could sit here and gush about it all day. Well, yeah. Hopefully, our Anthrax listeners are gushing with us, but they're probably shaking their fists too at their iPods, saying, "Yeah, these guys back in my day." That's us, you actually. Were- Something that amazes me about songwriters, this is one of the multitude of reasons why I'm not a songwriter. You take the musical part first, I'm assuming. These guys put together guitar riffs and a drum beat, and then whoever writes the lyrics have to fit that to the, like have to fit a vocal melody that sounds good along with the guitars. I I don't know how, how people do that, how these songwriters do that, and it sounds amazing. Yeah, uh... There's nothing wrong with being somebody who loves music because, yes, I'm not making any money off that and I don't have any fans, but we're the fans. You know, we are the fuel that I think feeds these guys. Look, do you think they would perform in front of five people for their whole lives? Right. They wouldn't. I don't care what anyone says. I hear, I do it because I love the music. Yeah, yeah, but you also love the cheers and the people coming out and singing your songs with you. Right. Only so many bands could sustain off a five-person in your audience tour. Well, you perform for five people. That's true. This podcast, yeah, is a weekly performance. My mom, myself, you'll probably download this episode. I don't even think Craig will download it, so (laughs) that's actually true. Okay, well, with that depressing. So the next song on the album is Intro to Reality, but it's an instrumental, so it doesn't really count. It's weird because it really is just a long intro to the song Belly of the Beast. As per the rules of Worst of the Best, instrumentals don't count regarding uh, being in the running for a worst pick because Joey doesn't sing officially in the intro. It's a really cool sound, but again, if you want to hear it, just go on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, listen to the intro to reality. But it's a nice little intro, obviously, to the song Belly of the Beast. Belly of the yeah, Beast... It runs, like, right into Belly yeah, of the Beast. Yeah, it does. I actually remember when I had this had this album. It was actually, I had it for the first time on tape cassette in 1990. I was still buying tape cassettes. I had CDs and tape cassettes. I don't know why I had one over the other, but I did have this on cassette. I remember, yeah, this was side two. So you've put, you flipped it over intro into reality kicks in the instrumental. And like I said, it's three and a half minutes long. It's really good, but it bleeds right into belly of the beast. 
Belly of the Beast was actually their third single from this album. And In My World, the one we just talked about, was their first single. Sorry, their second single. We haven't got to their first single yet. So this was their third single, Belly of the Beast. At 4 minutes 50 seconds, that's a pretty lengthy single. You can see why they kind of made Intro to Reality a track from it. But I think in today's release, they probably would just call it a seven-minute song. Again, I love Joey's way he sings the song. Remember what I said last, the other song about how writing a vocal melody to fit the music? I think they kind of miss the mark on this. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. It's not that I dislike his vocals because I, I think he's he shows good range in it. It's just the music itself is it's killer, but it just seems like the vocals just leave me a little something to be desired. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, you've spoken Did you spoke on the, the video. Oh yeah, I watched the video back in the day, man. I watched this in 1990. I saw this video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were touring Europe with Iron Maiden during Iron Maiden Seven Sun tour. Right. The video is handheld footage from the road while they're on tour. The Iron Maiden drummer Nico McBrain can be seen in in one scene at the uh, video. Nice. Well, it would have been a big honor, but even for them back then to tour for Iron Maiden, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the next song doesn't count. It's Got the Time. It's a cover song from the artist Joe Jackson. And I didn't know that at the time, but I knew that later in life. But it's only 2 minutes, 44 seconds. And this is why I like that we made these rules for the Worst of Best podcast. Because I'm telling you right now, this probably would have been my pick. Even really? when this, Yeah, even when this song was out in 1990, and it was the first single on the album. And I always think it's kind of not good for a band to have it on their fifth studio album fourth with Joey to have their first single be a cover tune. Like come on, that's what a mm-hmm. that's what a band who's trying to get an audience does, you know, like right. like this is your fifth studio album and you're releasing cover tune. Got the time time ticking my head. Ticking my head. Yeah, it's um I didn't like it back then. I remember thinking it was too short. I I think at first it was one of those ones where oh wow this is kind of fun and catchy. Yay. But it mm-hmm. dies really quickly. It doesn't have the buildup of, like, In My World. It doesn't have that longevity in my book. So this would have been my worst pick. This may be another one. It would, it would have been the discussion had this been allowed as a cover song. Or if it was an original song sounding just like this, what I should say. It might be a nostalgic type of thing because I like this. I loved this song when I was a kid. We'll sample a little uh, bit, uh, but it's not yeah. in the running.
Yeah, I see. It's just to me. It's like. All right. That's yeah. fair. I think it's fair. Discharge is the next song on Anthrology. And actually, the last one we're going to talk about because the song afterwards, Bring the Noise, is a public enemy song. Mm-hmm. And so thus is a cover song. Again, we'll we'll sample a little bit of it, but originally it was a public enemy song. But Anthrax, you know, made it their own, had an Anthrax style, so it definitely made it their own and had Public Enemy come on with them to sing their song with Anthrax. It was kind of that melding of metal and rap, which was very unique for 1990. Yeah, this might be the first instance of it. Yeah. Anything you want to say about Disturbed before we sample it? No, just head right into it. So I think it was funny. We were talking about how this album was very you know, kind of sludge, drudge, heavier, more like mature sounding. But I think for the last song, they were like, oh, yeah, we are a little bit of a thrash metal band, guys. Don't forget. And they kind of threw a little bit more thrash in this last song. This is a great song. And they used a lot of interesting techniques that I don't know if I've heard from them before. There's one right in the second verse. It's like the vocals. Joey will sing a line. Then the guitars come in. They trade off. Joey sings, guitars come in. Joey sings, guitars come in. And then they both come together. I don't know. It's like a really interesting technique they use. Good stuff. Really good. And, uh, you know, let's give some love to Frank Bello, too, man, with some more of that booming bass. Frank Cello. Frank Cello the Bello. Chuck D. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Flavor Flav with the clock around his neck. and uh, Yeah, yeah, the good old days. For for fun, if any of our listeners are Anthrax fans, go on YouTube and go to Bring the Noise reactions from uh, hip-hop guys like who aren't really into metal, and they're like 20, 25 years old now. They would have known this, obviously, back then. It's fun to watch them react to this because they probably know the public enemy version but they don't know the anthrax singing version mm-hmm. they're always blown away by the uh the ability of the band members to rap yeah so we'll yeah. sample that a little bit here get from in front of me the crowd runs to me my dj is warm he's next i call him norm you know he can cut a record from side to side 
sides And with the ride, the guys to be much safer than a suicide Soul control, beat is the father of your rock and roll Music for what you're for which and you call a band man Making the music, a music, but you can't do it, you know You call them demos, but we ride demos too What you gonna do, rap is not afraid of you Beat is for Sonny Bono, beat is for your Bono Run the MC for city, DJ could be a band Stand on his own feet, get you out your seat Beat is for Eric B and LL as well, hell Wax is for Anthrax, still like your rock bell Ever forever, universal and will sell Time for me to exit, Terminator exit Turn it up! So it's a fun song. It's a fun song. Yeah, it's it's good, man. Like this was the birth of rap and metal coming together. They went on to do stuff like that time and time again with I mean, not to mention like metal bands that kind of rap. Take a band like Limp Biscuit. Oh, they definitely were influenced. They were you would be lying to say that Fred Durst didn't hear this and think this was great and and did something with it in his mind. You remember back in the early 90s, the uh, Judgment Night the movie yep. Judgment Night. Oh yeah, saw in the theaters, that, man. Do you remember the soundtrack that went along with it? Yeah, I still listen to it this day. Oh wow! It's so that was the gimmick. They've got twelve punk slash grunge slash metal bands to partner. Slayer, Slayer was on it with I can't remember who, but to partner up up with a rap group. There, some of the best rap metal mixes came out of that. Man, really good. All right, that brings us to the end of the Anthrax Anthrology, disc two, part two of our Anthrax coverage. The first four albums with Joey Baldana. As we said before, they have released two further albums since John Bush leaving the band. They're still going. Anthrax is still going back with their second singer officially, but kind of the original singer that uh, people that were Joey Baldana fans, of course, are very happy, and those who are John Bush fans are very sad. <laughs> so... They're still touring today with Joey, and it's just uh, John Bush fans like me, which I really like the John Bush albums. We just I never got a chance to see John Bush live with Anthrax. It's my only regret. But I have seen Anthrax live with Joey, but I kind of wish I saw John Bush too. Yeah, I remember when Joey came back, and I think it was right around the time that they were doing that Big Four tour with Megadeth, Metallica, and Slayer, all the Big Four and Thrash. Yeah, and uh, and it was it was exciting for like the fans from back in the day because. John Bush might have been your anthrax vocalist, but Joey was always mine. Nice. No, I've gotten a new appreciation for Joey. Appreciation for Joey, especially doing this coverage with you and going on this journey with you. And I could, I could definitely see why people love him. I just uh, have enough room in my heart for both. That's all. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to move on to some John Bush stuff with you. I didn't dislike the guy. It's different style. Different. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, for having me come on. I mean, this has been... Uh, quite the journey and thanks for let let me revisit some of this stuff that i haven't listened to in a long time well you ready i'm ready did you go first last night you yeah I went you first went first so my turn to go first because i dropped that bomb with you with i'm the man yeah worst song on the album bring the noise no joking um we can't so it's <laughs> <laughs> anything has to do with any kind of rap i hate no joking um oh. i <laughs> i don't want to steal the limelight because i think we might have the same pick <laughs> Yeah, this one I think is a runaway. <laughs> okay, what did you say on the count of three? Sure. One, two, three, make me make laugh. Me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> really it's a terrible song. Like it's not a very good song. I'm like this is a best of, right? And like how is this on a best of album? There must have been another song on State of Euphoria they could have picked. I know. But I think this was officially a single, didn't we say that? Yeah, it was. I, and I think they kind of have to. It's a weird, you know, oh, man, we've made this a single. We have to put it on. As a whole, it's a boring song. Yeah. It doesn't really leap out at me. 
you know, I'm sitting here looking to you, bobbing your head to the, to a lot of these songs that we're lis- listening to, but this one just didn't grab me. No, it didn't make me laugh either. No, no. <laughs> Who gives a shit about televangelists? <laughs> well, I like the message and I agree with the message. I think, quite frankly, Suicidal Tendencies did it way better with Send Me Your Money. Yeah. Do you know that song? I don't know if I heard that one. Really? Yeah, I'm not sure. I wasn't big on Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, frick. Okay, well, after uh, after this recording, I'm going to show you really quickly. All right. We'll share that with you. All right, well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Doug, for coming on. Do you want to plug anything, Doug, before you head out? <laughs> no, I'll just plug my show, Rocky Minute, where I go through the Rocky movies one minute at a time, partnered up on the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network with uh, Ryan here from Going the Distance. Hey, hey. Yeah. And uh, our buddy Craig from the Slycast. So. Yeah, check it out. We're officially, for those who care, we run the only Stallone Network podcast network out there. We cover all of his films in a variety of voices and a variety of ways. And trust me, there's a lot of slide material, and it's it's never boring. No, never. It's, it's a lot of fun, actually. It, yeah. All right, Doug, thank you so much for coming on. I hope to have you on again. Yeah, thanks for having me, buddy. Remember, in front of every silver lining, there's a cloud, and we're here to help you find it. Gamma Gator Productions.